Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are talking about real food, farming, and holistic feeding for picky eaters. And we are speaking with a very experienced OT from the Center for Discovery, which is based in New York State, Alexandra Vesica. So Alex has been working at the Center for Discovery, which is a school and residential placement for kids and adults with severe disabilities for eight years now. And she's just recently graduated with her doctorate in occupational therapy, and she's passionate about improving the lives of children with disabilities, especially children with autism that are picky eaters. Alex is the coordinator of the Food Exploration and Discovery Program. Welcome, Alex. Hello, nice to meet you. So awesome to have you on the show, Alex. I've got so many great questions ready to fire at you. Um, but before we get started, we always hit the rewind button because we love to learn a little bit about you and your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing today. Okay, so this is a good one. When I was in seventh grade, um, or really even before that, I kind of had an obsession with crutches and um, I asked for them every year for Christmas. My parents would never get them for me. They bought me stilts, they bought me uh, dolls with casts on, but they would not buy me the crutches. So um, in seventh grade, I had a life and careers class and we took a personality profile. We were asked to fill out a little bit about us and then it was gonna give us a job that we had to do a book report on. So. I had a lot of um, jobs like a teacher and a nurse that came up, but I didn't know what occupational therapy was. So I just said, well, I guess I'll do a book report on this. And I did it and I fell in love with it. And since seventh grade, that was what I was going to do. So I entered into high school knowing that I was going to be an OT when I went to college. So I eventually went to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I graduated with my master's from there in 2012. And then I had my eyes on the Center for Discovery. We had a a filing cabinet full of uh, fieldwork placements that we could go to and the center unfortunately was booked when I was looking for a placement and when I graduated I said this is where I'm gonna work and I put in my application and a few months later I got a call from them so I've been here for about eight years now and um, I got the chance to learn about feeding therapy from an OT and a speech-language pathologist who I work with and fell in love with it. So I've been here, like I said, for eight years. I just completed my doctorate from Chatham University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and looking forward to the next intro into OT. I love it. So what was it about the Center for Discovery that just had you saying, this is where I want to work? What is it? Can you tell us about the Center? So the center, like you said, is a school and residential facility for kids and adults with severe disabilities. Um, we have an outpatient clinic. We're also in the process of developing a short-term specialty hospital. We have 1,700 employees, 340 residential kids and adults, and other 110 day schools, day school students. So we have a huge facility, but when I walk through for my interview, I mean, the center is visually arresting. It's very much like a college campus. We're spread out across 
um, many acres of land. We have school buildings and um, houses on the same campus, um, lots of walking paths, beautiful gardens. We farm on 1500 acres, so there are farm fields all between, but most importantly, I saw the incredible work that the center does to make sure that we're working as a team. They are pushing boundaries when it comes to research for kids with disabilities. Um, they, they really support growth in unique areas of practice for OT and for other therapists also and for education. Um, but I fell in love with the idea of being able to push myself and um, work with kids that could use some extra love. Mm, I love it. And for anyone who hasn't heard of the Center for Discovery, honestly, go have a look at the YouTube channel and just get that visual of what this place looks like. It is phenomenal. Like the farming land, the, um, I suppose the science and like you said, the research behind what you guys are doing at the center, the, the fact that you look at food as medicine and that it comes from the earth. All these little things, I think, just make it so unique. And just the perspective that you're taking is really holistic. And I, I love it. Like, I absolutely yeah. love it. It's an incredible place. It really is. It gives you the warm fuzzies when you're here because you see um, teams working together to really figure out some challenging problems when it comes to picky eating. And you don't get that in a lot of other facilities. Mm, okay, so let's start with real food and why it's so important to look at real food, particularly for our picky eaters. So most importantly, real food is good for you because your body recognizes that. When you're eating a lot of preservatives and fillers, your body doesn't know what to do. So it's not able to digest them the same way that real food digests. So we want to make sure that our kids are eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, legumes, proteins, whole grains, so that they get a spectrum of vitamins within their diet without us having to supplement um, in other ways. So a good rule of thumb is if your grandparents or your great-grandparents would eat it, that's what you want to be eating too. Um, you want to make sure that it's close to your home because the further that it travels, the less nutrients you're going to get. Um, and we don't want those things in our body. We want to make sure that we are eating uh, whole foods, lightly processed as much as possible. So that's what we provide for our kids here. Mm. And what I tend to find is that many picky eaters tend to go for the white, bland, carb-based foods. So it will be the pasta or the rice or the biscuits mm -hmm. or the cereal or the toast or the milk. Um, and all of these, or most of the ones that they're addicted to, you know, are high in um, preservatives, additives, flavors, colors. Uh, they're nutrient poor, they're man made, they're synthetic, they don't come from the earth, and they're not providing any benefit to the body. You know, the body's having to work harder to process it, and there's just no nutrients there. Absolutely. And, but they become, because a lot of processed food is built this way, it brings the, the um, consumers back to it because it gives you that really good endorphins when you eat it because, it, you know, it's just fun to eat. It's, it's, you can eat a lot of it without feeling full. So um, that's what a lot of our kids eat before they come to the center, especially in our residential program when we have more control over their diet because we're the ones that... Um, provide all of their meals for them. Mm. 
Okay. And I know at the farm there is this, the kids have a responsibility to look after the farmland and to look after the animals. And I did see on one of the videos that there's a barn where the kids will wash and clean the vegetables and they can participate in herbal workshops and have the opportunity to create teas using the dried herbs and also the opportunity to work with the chefs and prepare the nourishing meals from the freshly harvest crops. How yeah. amazing is that? <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I mean, the opportunities that the kids have to be part of that process. And we don't even talk about the number of times they participate in cooking groups or they make all the salad dressings for their classroom. Um, it, it really is incredible. And the center is able to provide us with a lot of those foods and opportunities and um, you know farmers that are right there that are willing to show us the process so that the teachers can learn it so that we can the teachers can turn it into a lesson or the OTs can break it down so that every child can participate. Um, there are so many lessons that are involved in farming and, and as the seasons pass, it's a different ch uh, chore that we're learning. It's a different plant that we're growing. So um, the kids have endless opportunities to participate with vegetables and with animals. But, you know, as OTs, we see a variety of different uh, benefits from farming. It's not just from being part of seeing the food grow and wanting to eat it, but we know that it's engagement and meaningful activity. The kids see the benefit of it. Um, that makes all of us feel good. That's why we all have jobs. Um, Self-regulation, they, they're able to be out there getting that deep proprioceptive input from um, you know, pulling the wagons or scooping in the barn stalls. Um, carrying the baskets of eggs or the vegetables around. Um, so when we're calm, we're more likely to feel hungry, which is a really good feeling after you've been working hard for the morning and you get back and you have a good nourishing snack waiting for you. Um, you know, our teachers have a variety of educational opportunities with math and reading, following directions. And then back to OT, sequencing, work steadiness, attention to task, fine motor skills, I mean, OTs, I'm sure, are thinking of all of the things that are beneficial coming out of farming. So um, it really is incredible for us. And it's amazing to see how many opportunities they're willing to let us participate in. And sometimes even when it seems like a little bit crazy, like, oh, we're going in to collect eggs where? Um, but the kids really, they a lot of them love it. That's part of their routine. They look forward to it. So um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I know there are studies out there that show the kids who grow their own vegetables, they're more likely to eat it. So there is that connection there as well. And I think for any OTs who are listening in now, they can be thinking about how can I help, you know, the kids that I'm working with grow, grow their own food. Maybe it is just starting with a few pot plants and some herbs, or maybe it's looking at creating their own veggie patch in their garden, you know, really simple steps. Um, but they can be so effective in reconnecting kids back to the food. Yeah. Yeah. And even if they can't, maybe they don't have a large amount of property, like you said, small pots or being part of going to the grocery store or to a farmer's market, join a CSA community supported agriculture and, and be there to pick out the vegetables that the farmers are growing. Um, go to farmers markets and see all the vegetables that are out and then have the kids be part of that process of peeling the carrots and um, washing the lettuce. Sometimes even if they're not quite ready to eat it, that's a positive experience from that for them that isn't stress inducing. So 
if we're all peeling carrots together, because that's just what the family does on Saturdays to make our salad, then it becomes part of their routine and, and less scary to feel like every time they're around something unfamiliar, around an unfamiliar food that they're going to be told to eat it. So we want to provide them with lots of opportunities that are positive and times when we're not telling them that they have to eat the food. Mm, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So what do the residents at the Center for Discovery eat? What's, what's, on, the, what's on the menu? So it depends on the season. Our menus change four times a year based on what is in season, what's coming off of our farm. Um, it, it really could be anything. We could be having coal cannon one day or moussaka the next. We could be eating fish tacos or salmon. Um, we might be having farmer's mac and cheese, which is like a mac and cheese with um, cauliflower in it. We, it could be, I mean, anything under the sun, really, the menu is very creative. Sometimes I have to ask, like, I've never heard of this. Can I try a bite of it to see what it tastes like so I can help describe it to the kids? Um, and a lot of staff find that when they try it, they end up really liking it. Um, and they're able to carry that over at home, too. So that's a nice feeling. Mm, awesome. And it's all, it's all whole real foods, though, even like the macaroni and cheese. Oh yeah, if we're if we have macaroni and cheese, we're making it from scratch. We've got whole wheat pasta, cauliflower um, coming from off the farm if it's in season, and then the chefs are making the cheese sauce themselves. Um, sometimes, depending on the kid, we might adapt the mac and cheese to be a little bit more pasta and a little bit less cauliflower, or the cauliflower is going to be cut up a little smaller, or maybe we'll change the noodle if they're still getting used to the idea of transitioning from a more processed mac and cheese. Um, but we're making it all from scratch. It, we, it's not an option that we have to buy a box of mac and cheese. Okay, interesting. Okay, so I'm interesting to dive into this in a moment because I know there will be a lot of OTs who will be thinking, you know, I've got clients and there is no way that I am going to be able to transition them from what they're currently eating to what you're saying that you you serve kids at the, the Centre for Discovery. So we'll dive into the that in a minute, but I do want to find out more about the food exploration and discovery program. So fed program. Can you tell us what this is about? And um, yeah, give us a bit of an overview. Sure. So like you said, it's the food exploration and discovery program, which we often call it the fed program. Um, and it's a therapy program that works with picky eaters. So children who or adults who present with mealtime and feeding challenges. So we work on improving their relationship with food, increasing the number of foods that they eat so we can provide adequate nutrition and decreasing stress and anxiety around mealtimes. Um, an OT and a speech therapist are the ones that developed the program. They went to a variety of conferences and realized that none of the most well-known programs were quite what we were looking for for our population. We now have five OTs and six speech pathologists, all with caseloads, um, some of their caseload at least, not all of it, with feeding therapy, kids that receive feeding therapy. Um, so we work from with young kids all the way into adulthood. It's never too late to try to increase the variety of foods that a child eats. Um, we also know that 25 to 35% of typical children and 40 to 70% of children with chronic medical problems are considered picky eaters. So um, that's a huge population. And as therapists, we really need to think about how can we 
make the lives better for the children and for the families. So that's what we're doing in, in our FED program. Um, we're working with the caregivers to make sure that they're well-trained. We talk with the chefs. We work closely with our dietitians, our PTs, our teachers, anyone that is at a mealtime or impacts a mealtime with a child, we're working with them to make sure that they feel confident um, modifying meals or following through on protocols. And then we see the kids in one-to-one -one sessions um, at least once a week so that we can increase the variety of foods that they eat. So we have kids in our school program that we see there, and then we also have an outpatient clinic. And this global pandemic actually has really helped us to develop our um, telemedicine practice for feeding therapy, which has opened up the door to be able to see kids and adults across the country, outside of the country, kids that might not have been able to leave their home and come to the center frequently. Um, and now we're able to really help their caregivers in their home environment to increase their diet. So there is a benefit to all of this. Awesome. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about what the FED program actually looks like? What are you doing in a session? What does it look like um, when you're working with the kids? Sure. So, of course, it looks different for every child, just like every other area of OT. But um, a, an OT is going to go in, or it could be a speech therapist, but we'll talk from, from an OT lens. Um, the OT goes in and evaluates everything around mealtime. So we look at every underlying area like gross motor and fine motor, medical, sensory, behavioral, environmental, or motor. I mean, eating is a really complicated task. So we want to make sure we're evaluating each area that impacts eating. So we might, we're going to identify which areas are the ones that the children might be struggling with. And then we're going to address those in our therapy sessions. So that might be when we're changing their seating, we're trying to do some um, exercises or implement some strategies from into the classroom to increase their core strength so they can sit up for a mealtime, sit at the table, have good posture. We might address their hypersensitivity. Um, we might be doing some oral motor exercises routinely in their day. We would train their caregivers on health, how to follow through with that. Um, and we follow up with other medical professionals because like many other areas, we think medical first. So if a child is not eating or has abandoned a food that they really love, we're gonna think medical. Do they have a toothache? Are they having GI issues? Um, a variety of other medical issues can be happening. So once we identify what's going on, we're starting to address those areas. At the same time, we're gonna start introducing new foods or start to transition away from the foods that um, they might be more stuck on. So like I mentioned mac and cheese before, we're gonna to start to explore other variations of mac and cheese. We might switch to a new pasta, but keep the same sauce if we have it available. We might keep, uh, keep the sauce, but switch to a other way around. We might use the same pasta and switch the cheese. Um, we might add a small amount of chopped vegetables, a seasoning, we might bake cheese on top. I mean, there can be a million iterations of how we might change mac and cheese. But our end goal might be this homemade mac and cheese we call farmer's mac and cheese. So the cauliflower in our whole wheat pasta with a homemade sauce, because that's on the menu at the center. So it's something that they're gonna see consistently. Um, Sometimes we don't even start with a food that they're most familiar with because maybe they're not ready to even see an adapted version of what they typically eat. So we might pull out some fruits and vegetables because believe it or not, even though we think like, ooh, watch out, 
don't present them with something green. It turns out kids are really very interested in bright and colorful fruits and vegetables. They often end up eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, or at least we have a handful that we can consistently say, this child loves salad or uh, apples are a go-to. So we, we don't abandon any area. There are certain foods that might have a bigger behavioral reaction that maybe we're staying away from for now until we develop a better relationship with the child, until they feel more comfortable trusting us. Um, but really it, it's an open book of what we might what we might have in stock, what's in season, what did the child before them make? Like maybe they made a smoothie, and so we're gonna try to use some smoothie in our next session. Um, yeah, it, it really can look a lot of different ways. In our residential program, um, we have it's a, the pressure is on a little bit more because we don't have a lot of their favorite options available to them. So we first try to make sure we're making um, options that are center versions of their preferred foods so that we can get some consistent options available to them. We immediately start working on building trust. We're never trying to trick the child into eating anything that they're not ready to eat. Um, and we build from there. So if we know they'll eat five fruits from the center, then we start increasing the number of foods that, um, that we're presenting them at every mealtime. We also make sure one of our biggest things is that we always have a preferred and a non-preferred food on the same plate. We're never telling them they have to eat this and then they can have that. That just glorifies that second food. It tells them that, that this first food must be really terrible if they're telling me I can have that favorite thing later on. So we want them to innately enjoy eating. Broccoli is really good. A lot of us really love it. And you don't have to eat broccoli to get to a quesadilla. So they, we want the, you to enjoy eating both of them. I love those strategies, Alex. Let's think of the fussiest eaters. Let's think about, you know, the kid who maybe just loves McDonald's and has to have that McDonald's burger. They know the difference. They're, they're not silly. Absolutely. How do you go from transitioning them? Because I know I've worked with kids who are very much like this and I know that there's so many kids out there who have their favourites and they know and they will starve themselves. They will not touch anything unless it is that thing that they want. What do you do in that situation? So it depends on the child. There, there has to be an underlying reason. Like you said, the child will starve themselves. They're not thinking, I'm going to hold out until my family gives this to me because I want this so bad and I'm going to trick them. That's not what they're thinking. There must be some underlying reason why they're not eating a different variety of foods. Um, so it depends on the child. We try to figure out what exactly is going on. And then we're going to start fading away from eating McDonald's every single day to start incorporating other foods that mom and dad or caregiver can make at home. Um, we're going to start Maybe we've had kids that will only eat a McDonald's hamburger and then the mom has to drive across the street to get a Sprite from Burger King. They will only eat them in their car. By the time they get home, if it's not consumed by then, the child abandons the food. So we're gonna start with just changing the environment that the child is eating in. Maybe mom and dad are still going to pick up the McDonald's for now, which is okay in the beginning, but we're gonna come home and we're gonna eat it at our plate. We're going to sit with our family members and we're going to eat it and we're going to build into a routine. So I think that's one of our 
most important things that we ask mom and dad and caregivers within our program to do is that we have a consistent routine. Doesn't matter quite what it looks like. Some families might have all the kids eat together, mom and dad eat later. Other times it's um, the food is served buffet style on the stove and people come up and eat it. Um, we wanna make sure it's consistent so the kids know what to um, expect for mealtimes. So in terms of that McDonald's, maybe we're just bringing it home for now and we're presenting it with the family at a mealtime at the table. From there, it could go in a million different directions. Um, it might be purchasing a frozen burger from the store that looks more similar to McDonald's but isn't quite a fresh patty at this point. Um, and we might transition from them from there. Maybe we're taking off the McDonald's bun because maybe that's what they really love and they don't care so much about the, the meat being a little bit different. We might be putting a different patty on the bun. Um, maybe we're finding a bun that looks more similar to something that they love. It could go in so many directions, but um, if they're in our residential program, we, we don't even have the option of starting from the McDonald's bun, the McDonald's burger in general. So we're gonna explore every food that they love from home and we're gonna figure out versions that are whole foods, lightly processed. Um, and we're gonna go from there. And 100% of the time we find at least five different foods that they are willing to eat that are center versions um, that are whole foods. So it might, not, it might not mean that they're eating a hamburger or a cheeseburger right off the bat, but we can get a quesadilla or maybe it's meatballs, maybe it's grilled chicken, um, maybe just it's steamed broccoli because that's the one vegetable that they like. So we might not be working on McDonald's, on burgers in general in the beginning, but we're finding some foods that we can really count on to be their preferred foods. Mm, I love what you've just said there. And what I think is so important about what you've said is that it's small steps. We're not trying to transition them straight from a McDonald's burger to broccoli and a range of colorful vegetables on their plate, <laughs> raw vegetables and green juice in the morning. You know, it's, no. really <laughs> <I quite yet. laughs> it's a process. It is a process. And just taking those small steps, step by step, it's going yeah. to slowly um, progress and develop. Um, yeah. It's a really important. We've actually really tried to start being um, more consistent about keeping track of every food that the child has eaten so that we have a list going for a therapist to look at and for the caregivers to look back, look at, um, for their parents to see, because sometimes we forget like, oh, wow, I can't believe that he wasn't eating chicken back then. Like chicken's his favorite. I can 100% count on that he'll eat chicken in any one way that I make it. But yeah, you're right. He never ate chicken before, or he used to gag at the sight of uh, yogurt. We couldn't even bring it in the same room. And now the child is choosing to eat yogurt, maybe with a few chocolate chips in it, but they're still choosing to eat yogurt. So um, yeah, it it's, can be a long process. Sometimes it's two step forward and one step back. Um, but being patient and knowing that your consistency is key and making sure everyone's consistent mm. and get there for sure. Absolutely. I'm working with a 17 year old boy who's on the spectrum and he only drinks Coke and he only eats nuggets, chicken nuggets. Um, and they have to be a specific brand of chicken nuggets. Otherwise he will starve himself. And he okay. knows 
he gets 10 cans of Coke a day. Like he must have that many Cokes. Um, what would you recommend? Where to start here? Oh man, that's a hard one. It is hard. And you know, little things, I suppose that he is very resistant to any fruit, any vegetables, anything. Um, and one thing that we have started to do is literally just getting him to pass the fruit to mum and dad. He doesn't even like to touch it. So every day I've said, mum and dad, you know, just get him, say, um, buddy, do you mind passing me a banana? And he does it cringingly, but he will do it now. But he but he, never, he yep. never used to do that. So really, I mean, it's the smallest step. And I've said yeah. to the parents, this small step might not seem significant now. But if we do this consistently day in, day out, then it, the next step might be, oh, can you peel the banana for me? Can you yeah. smell the banana? You know, and it's really those little things. Um, there's a lot of other work that we need to do on like the nuggets and the different side of things. But it's just tiny weaving little things yeah. throughout the um, throughout the day-to-day -day routine that is a small step forward. I think you're absolutely correct. Sometimes it's not touching the uh, the burger and, or the nuggets and the Coke right away because you have to get the child to trust you and know that you're not going to make them eat that banana the second that they touch it. So start with having him pass the banana. Next thing, if the family can all eat together, maybe everyone passes the bowls around the table. He doesn't have to put it on his plate at first, but you go from there. So maybe next is that he's making everyone's plate. Again, he doesn't have to have it on his plate, but he uses a spoon and he serves everyone the chicken and rice that they're having. Um, and then from there, it could be putting a teaspoon amount of one of the family's options on his plate. We, we do provide a lot of opportunities for the kids to say no thank you. Um, we try to teach them the communication skills to, to be able to say to us, I'm not ready to try this yet because we will, take a no thank you over a plate thrown across the cafeteria any day of the week. So if, we, if the child learns that they can just say, I'm not ready, no thank you, use their communication device, use their core board, whatever it is, we'll respect that they are not ready to do that yet. Eventually, a strategy that works for a lot of kids is that we let them know that they can either put it on a separate plate, they're not ready, or they could give it a kiss goodbye. Sometimes we start with, you could touch it goodbye, you could carry it to the garbage can, because sometimes maybe the kid is really resistant to even touching it on their plate, matching it with a fork, nothing, they want nothing to do with it. But when you say, okay, well, if you're, if you're not ready to eat it yet, that's okay, you can go ahead and take it to the garbage can. They'll carry it over to the garbage can, so then they've had that one more opportunity for them to hold it, to have that sensory experience and to throw it out. Eventually, we're gonna move into kissing it goodbye, licking it goodbye, trying a nibble of it. Sometimes we, teach the kids how to take a bite and spit it out because we realize that they might've had a very scary experience as a child where they could have choked on something or felt like they might've choked on something. They didn't know how to get rid of it or it felt weird in their mouth and they felt like they had to swallow it. So they end up gagging and that's a really negative experience for anyone. So we teach the kids explicitly how to spit something out. So they have that oral motor control to feel confident that when something goes in their mouth, they're in control of if they're going to swallow it or not. Um, sometimes staff members look at us like, what are they doing? Like, where did all the table manners go? But when you have a good reason for something, like telling a, a staff member it's okay if this child does not eat with a fork today, 
seems totally counterintuitive to being an occupational therapist that we work on using utensils all the time, but if a child is not confident or doesn't have the fine motor skills to use a fork to spear their broccoli, but if they will pick it up with their hands and try and nibble with it, we are gonna let it ride until they are confident eating broccoli. They know what it's gonna feel like in their mouth. They know what to expect. And eventually we'll get back to the fork use. But for now, let's give them the opportunity to be more in control of what goes in their mouth. So mm -hmm. again, there's a million ways that you can go with, with nuggets and Coke, but I think you're doing the right thing by just providing a positive experience that doesn't require him to eat the food right away. Mm. And that's what I got out of that just then is that it's not about, it's about making sure you're not giving any negative experiences. The more positive yeah. experiences we can build around food, the better. Absolutely. The better the outcome for the child. And, um, and we want them to see that other people are having positive experiences with this specific food also, because sometimes our kids are, are in busy families. And so, or maybe in our residential program, they're not always sitting with another adult eat. They're sitting with their peers who are eating the same foods, but um, they might not be having back and forth conversation explicitly about the food. So we want the parents to try some of the same foods that the child is eating and say, oh, this broccoli, I feel it, it's crunchy. Um, I put a little bit of salt on it so it's salty. The temperature is warm. I'm gonna blow on it to cool it down. Can you do the same thing? Sometimes when you're eating it non-verbally, you have a piece of apple and you're trying a little snack of it. Maybe you're trying a lick of it. The child looks at you like, wait a minute, I trust that person and they like that food. So maybe I'll give it a lick also. And sometimes you could just look at the food and look at them and they'll end up trying a, a small amount of it. I'm not saying they're going to pick up the apple and start to eat it because you're eating it, but they will be more likely to trust like, okay. They're not eating the whole thing, but they are trying a lick of it and I'm ready to try a lick. I'm just not ready to try a bite yet. Mm. Before we wrap it up, because time has just flown, yeah. <laughs> um, are there any other tips you'd love to give OTs who might be working with picky eaters? Anything we haven't covered? Mm, for picky eaters, I think, one, you need to build up the trust with the kids. That is the most important thing you can do. But like we talked about, briefly before, eating is deeply rooted in your culture and beliefs. So getting to know what is a priority for the family, um, what is a priority for the caregivers at the Center for Discovery, it's a priority for us to have um, whole foods. So that those are the foods that we're going to be working on. Some parents might have um, a dish that they eat on Christmas that's really important to them, or maybe it's the Thanksgiving meal that they would love for their child to sit at. Um, maybe it's just that they want to be able to pack a picnic and put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in it. So understanding that families, caregivers, facilities have certain foods that they, they really feel strongly about. Sometimes it's they want the child to eat this one thing, and sometimes it's they don't want them to eat it that at all. And it's our job to respect that. So really figuring out what is a priority to the family, what does their mealtime look like, what's challenging for them, things that we might see as being unusual or challenging might not feel that way to the family. So um, making sure that they are part of the process is essential to make sure that you have carryover into all environments because what they eat in therapy doesn't matter so much if they're not eating that at home. Mm. I just thought of one quick question that I'd love to ask you too. Do you see... Um, 
behavior changes when you're changing the diet? Do you see a lot of that with the kids that you're working with? Because I know there is so much research in this area, but as OTs, we're not specifically looking at it. So a benefit of our residential and our education program is they're getting a really well-rounded program. So as they're in the program, we definitely see um, behavior changes in the positive direction. Um, sometimes we know it absolutely has a relationship to food because maybe the child came in to the program, whether they're a community student or an outpatient clinic um, and our residential program and they're obese. Well, it's really hard to participate in life and function to your best ability to feel good about yourself um, when, when you don't feel good about the foods that you're eating, when your body doesn't feel good. So yes, we absolutely see behavioral changes in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's increased attention to tasks, sometimes just more self-regulation, other times it's their ability to say no thank you or to trust you. Um, yeah, we, across the board we see behavioral changes. Mm. And I think this is a really interesting area that OTs can look into more is that link between nutrition and behavior and not Absolutely. just coming from maybe a sensory point of view. You know, there's, there's certain things that we look at, but I think nutrition and healthy eating habits is another area that we can be looking at more deeply. So thank yeah. you for that. All right, let's head to the three rapid fire questions. Okay. Number one, in one sentence, how do you describe OT? So... OT helps people engage in activities that are meaningful to them. Whatever's meaningful to you becomes meaningful to us in our therapy practice. Awesome. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? So I thought long and hard about this. And I think that the easiest one would be making sure that your plate is colorful. Same thing for your children. Make sure, making sure that you're serving a colorful plate to your kids and to the other people that you're eating around. Mm -hmm. Love it. Number three, if you could only offer one piece of advice to OTs, what would it be? So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in my own career, my own professional life. Um, I would recommend to any, especially any young OT, to find mentors or leaders in your life that you respect and really take some time to think about what their communication skills are like, how they ask for help, um, how they give and receive constructive criticism, how they continue to learn and grow, and then lean into that knowledge of what those um, other professionals in your life have because they have so much to offer. And um, the more we're able to communicate with our other professionals or caregivers, families, um, the better therapists we're going to be. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. And I think it's totally, it really helps with our own personal and professional development. Absolutely. Alrighty, so how, how does everyone find out more about the center and connect with you? What's the best way to learn more? So our website, of course, is the easiest thing to do, especially if you guys are all the way across the world. The centerfordiscovery.org has tons of information about each of our departments, about our initiatives, um, about the FED program. And then from there, you can find press releases that we've had. And the center has some incredible videos about each one of our programs on there, about some success stories from our students. So I highly recommend that you check out the website and has lots of contact information for different departments. Awesome. Fantastic. And like I said, YouTube channel, if you want to get a good visual of what the center looks like, go check out the YouTube channel. It's got heaps of good videos. Yes, it does. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate your time and your knowledge and your wisdom and everything that you brought today. It's amazing. And I know so many OTs will feel so much more confident and empowered in their work, I think, when working with picky eaters because it is a challenging one, um, but it's something that is certainly much more prevalent today than it ever was before, um, particularly with all the fast food and colourful, coloured, preservative, additive food that we have out there that looks super enticing, um, but it's very nutrient void. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope that it inspires you to take action. If you haven't already, come over and join our Facebook group family where we connect and collaborate. You can find us really easy just by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you did love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or on Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, like-minded, open-minded OTs. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. That's it. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world because the world is ready for you. Carpe diem, guys.